Kevin Owens, host of the Overseas Famous Podcast, here to personally invite you to subscribe to our official Patreon. Are you guys ready to take your podcast experience to the next level? Well, with our Patreon, you can do just that. And the best part? Pricing starts at just a dollar. It's like a pack of gum. Less. Per month. By becoming a Patreon member, you'll unlock a world of amazing perks. We're talking merch giveaways, signed items by our guests, shout-outs on the podcast, exclusive content, and so much more. Not only will you guys get to connect with me and the Overseas Famous community on a deeper level, but you'll also gain access to behind-the-scenes content and early episode releases. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Join our Patreon today and become part of the Overseas Famous family. Together, we will make podcast history. Thank you for your support and can't wait to see you on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash overseas famous to register. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Overseas Famous Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Owens. Thanks for joining us again. And we have a fantastic guest, Kyler Stork. Kyler started his overseas journey in Armenia uh, on a tryout. Now is going back for his fourth year overseas. Am I right with that? Fourth year overseas, third in Portugal. So, yes, Kyler, Kyler, thanks so much for joining us. We're a pleasure to have you on today. Yeah, for sure. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Of course. So your story went to a uh, smaller school and a lot of people we've had this guest on the show that when you have that D1 label and then you have like a D2 or a D3 label, that label's hard to shake, uh, especially getting your fo- foot in the door for pro basketball. Did you find that coming from a smaller university, it was harder to get your name out there and get exposed to the best situations? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Being Division three, I mean, you're kind of looked at as like the bottom of the bottom, um, even though I would make a strong case, not just for myself, but for any D3 athlete, that's that's not the case. You know, some of the times in uh, recruiting goes down, like in high school, uh, the D3 fit might be better for the person to get playing time right away than sit the bench for one to two years at a Division one school. So. Going into overseas uh, definitely is the same thing. Uh, if an executive or an owner sees like, oh, D1 label, he's automatically 95% of the time going to take that player over the D2 or the D3 kid. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a challenge for sure, but I'm glad that I've been one of the few D3 players that has worked out for sure. I always say the, the grind that you get at that early age of kind of like having to continuously prove yourself it transitions well into overseas basketball because that's what you need that grit and that determination. Like a lot of these guys who went to big schools and they're getting gear and all kinds of shit. And then all of a sudden they go overseas and they're like, Whoa, culture shock. I feel like the guys that they kind of grind it out and work early are more successful overseas because they don't have to, they've already done that. They've been there and they don't have to adjust to a new, completely new life when they get overseas do you think that that's something that helped you when you were getting into uh or the situation with armenia yeah i can uh definitely agree with that you know like d1 i'm not gonna bash on them because i mean they're incredible (laughs) so but i mean they're given a lot you know you walk in the door your first day as a freshman and you're given a whole locker of probably thousands and thousands of dollars of nike or adidas or under armor gear and that's not really the case overseas, you know. You get to the team and you get your jersey. You might get a shirt or some game shorts or practice shorts and a practice jersey. But that's about it. So you're not getting team shoes either. Like you're bringing your team shoes on the suitcase. Like you're bringing your own personal shoes. So um, 
I think that's why sometimes it's harder for D1 guys to adjust because you get there and you're like, where's all my stuff? Where's my stuff? Like, I need all this stuff. But sometimes the teams don't have the budget to give you thousands and thousands of dollars of Nike gear. So I think it definitely helped me as a Division three athlete. I mean, obviously, I played for two pretty good Division three programs that helped fundraise a lot of money. So we were given quite a bit of stuff, but definitely not the Division one level. But um, I, I guess I was more level-headed headed over there knowing that I wasn't going to be given a lot of stuff and have to work my way for what I want. The shoe situation is always big because as basketball players, like you look at the NBA and they're getting a new pair of shoes every few days because they wear out. And when you're putting that much pressure on the shoe, it's tough to to keep it going. When I was playing, I brought like four pairs of shoes over and that would usually last me throughout the year. But then I'm packing four pairs of shoes and not packing shit that I would probably need that is there a different way to get I like I'm asking this because I honestly have no idea this answer. Is there a different way to get shoes overseas? Like I was a 17, so I knew that I would probably have to pack my own because there's no chance of me getting them overseas. Have you found easier ways to get shoes? Nike, some of these distri- distributors, do you find it's easier now to get shoes or do you have any trouble finding gear that you would need for basketball when you're overseas? Yeah. Um, it's definitely you don't you don't really realize how big shoes are until you try to pack them in a suitcase and you realize how much. <laughs> big. So I'm a size like twelve and a half. So like it's it's definitely hard to pack four shoes in a suitcase because you're leaving out a sweatshirt or sweatpants in that in that little tiny room you have. So one hack I do have if you're carrying shoes, you can pack one in your suitcase. I try to take one in my Nike bag like a carry on. Mm-hmm. I've never had a trouble with, and I think it's kind of a hack. You tie your shoestrings together around like your strap on the the shoulder okay to bring four pairs i'm like you but i only have two one in my suitcase and one in my pack on and then i have two on the straps on my shoulders so that's one tiny hack i found and so far all the airlines i've flown they haven't said anything about like overdoing the size with the carry-on so that's definitely helped with the limiting room that you do have um but finding shoes like in Portugal, I mean, it's a soccer first country. So you're going to find a lot of soccer cleats in the Foot Locker outlets and Nike outlets. And um, people are small over there. No diss to Portugal, but it's it's rare that you find a huge Portugal guy compared to America. <laughs> where you walk on the street and you see, oh, six, 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 five. Yeah, it's just a big, big country. So if you go to Portuguese country or on the streets and you find a Portuguese man, that's like six, five, six, six. You're like, wow, you're a big Portugal guy for this country. <laughs> so I feel for them over there when they're looking for shoe size twos. Cause um, I think the European size for me is like 46 and a half or 47. And that's pretty big over there. So it's hard to find a basketball shoe um, that will fit you and be comfortable and have a good brand like Nike or Adidas to like actually fit you. So it's definitely when I leave each year, it's like, you got to bring, four to five and you want them to be freshly new because that's all you're going to get because it's it's hard to find a shoe over there i'm excited for the youtube i want to see this actual youtube hack where you actually show people how to strap the shoes and put them all together because that is a cheat because you're right it sucks trying to care and then you're like and then i you have to carry you know one or two pairs of like off the court shoes and like boots and stuff. I always thought it was such a hassle because you're my half my bag was all shoes. And then I'm wearing like three things all the time. I'm like, well, my shoes look good, but the rest of my fit is fucking terrible. Yeah, so when that's true. 
So when you first got into it and you go to Ar- Armenia, take us through that situation. You start, you have a 10 day tryout. You're going through, there's a bunch of other people there and you were just working for those 10 straight days. Take us through that opportunity with the thought process of if I can do well enough, I'm going to get my foot in the door of pro basketball. Yeah. So it was, it was a weird year, 2020 with the COVID and Armenia was like one of the countries that was accepting people in their country to play. Like a lot of leagues had been like stating like they're not going to play until further notice or we're just done for the year. Um, So I was like, you know what? From the state I'm from, Illinois, there's not much to do here either. A lot of stuff is closed. So, like, let's take this opportunity and let's just try it. So I went over with uh, Dustin Simcox. He runs a lot of the uh, Eurobasket Summer League camps in America throughout the summer. And I went to one of his camps, uh, I think it was in July of 2020 in Indianapolis. And then he uh, talked to some guys if they wanted to come to Armenia with him because usually he does, like, tours in, like, Portugal or Spain. But this year or during that year, 2020, he wasn't able to do that because the league and federations told him like, no, you're not bringing 20 to 30 Americans into our country. It's just not happening. <laughs> so he took like, I think it was 60 to 70 of us to Armenia, which was like probably his biggest tour ever. And I think it to this day is his biggest tour that he runs um, with the tryout. So he, he put us into seven teams, I believe seven teams to 10. And it was like a tryout tournament type of deal. Uh, we played the other seven Armenia teams um, that were going to compete that year for their league, their Armenia A-League. Um, and after – it was definitely an intense 10 days. So it was like game uh, – well, we got there the first day. It was like practice, meet your team, do some drills, practice, and whatever. And then through the next, we had nine days after that left, and it was uh, seven games in nine days, which an off day, I think it was like in the middle. So it was definitely like when you got to like game five, six, and seven, it was definitely mentally draining and you were, you were drained. But it was definitely the most ten, intense – days of my basketball career for sure not knowing like am I going to stick here am I not going to stick here so at the end of it I was lucky enough um, to get on a team and then we just kind of started rolling throughout the season because the seasons are like the next week so wow it's definitely intense for sure so you got done this camp and then it was pretty much you made it and you're staying and then a bunch of other guys like thanks for coming you're back to America it's like this is during COVID right so like with those guys, if you didn't make it, you were heading back to America, correct? Yeah, you were. Uh, so Dustin, he he definitely protected those guys too, and us. Yeah. Um, when we were like, um, going through him, he had a return ticket for us if we didn't. Okay, that's. So he he definitely just didn't say like get lost like some European agents do. They're like, oh, you didn't make it, you're not my problem anymore. So that does definitely does happen in Europe. But man, Dustin's my guy. So if he's watching this. He knows he's a real one. So he protects all the players that uh, sometimes it doesn't work out for them. That's great. And then you, you go through your first season in Armenia, play very well. How did they, what was the jump like from first season in Armenia to the second season in Portugal? And how did that come to be? Was that something because now, and we had talked right before we went on and it's August 14th right now. And you already know where you're, that you're going back to Portugal. So that's a great thing when you have kind of, you know, three or four weeks to prepare and knowing that you're going back. Was it that same situation? Did you know prior to, or were you just waiting and waiting and waiting and suddenly this opportunity came? Yeah. So I was kind of just waiting it out when I got home from Armenia. I didn't really know if my season was, or my career was like done. I didn't know if I had ever played my last game. So just kind of waiting it out. And then a Portuguese team drew interest. Um, 
it was Dustin actually helped me with this team to get on uh, the team because he knows a lot of the Portuguese teams. Um, the next summer was a lot more open, so he was able to uh, talk to more teams where he was mainly established, and uh, he helped me land on the team FC Gaia in Portugal. So um, it was nice to have a little more stability this time of what was going on and not so much of a crazy year with the every league being shut down and obviously COVID. So it was more more straightforward, I'd say, for sure. What did you – your initial reaction to Portuguese basketball? A lot of people, like we talked about on this show, about the different styles of play. When you went to Portugal, did you feel like it was a fit for your specific style of basketball? Um, I would say so. I mean, Armenia, it's a lot more offensive. There's not a lot of defense there. Um, just to be honest, it's not – I mean, it's a good – good country to start in to play um but it's not as established as portugal just from mm-hmm. an open-minded opinion so if you're going to play in portugal you're going to have to know how to play defense um coaches i think i want to say every player but a lot of the players there learn how to play defense and learn how to pass the ball first so if you're just a guy that comes in there chucking up shots just running around you're probably not going to last too long in Portugal, I'm going to be honest with you. So you're going to have to know how to play strategic basketball and what it means to play different styles of defense. Um, my first team I played on in Portugal, FC Gaia, uh, Coach Duarte had a lot of different defensive st- uh, strategics throughout the game. So, like, sometimes we'd be doing man-to-man. If we knew an American was on the other team that could really, really score, I mean, we'd box in one, try and go in two, just chase them all around. So, like, we'd – there's a lot of practices where we just do mainly defense and try different, try different things out with uh, different ways to stop a team. That's really interesting because in pro basketball, you don't see that as much where you have multiple sets of defense. It's usually like you're, you're, you're standard zone or you're just in lockdown man to man. I mean, the, the, the things that we talk about and go into a defense of, you know, how you play a pick and roll and how you handle, you know, screen downs and stuff, but you're combining that with the zone and then you're combining that with some different cool junk defenses. That's really cool that the coaches are that invested in winning to be like, all right, we're going to try different things. Like we're going to do whatever it takes to win. And they're not just going to stay with the standard pro rules that people all put in. So that's a really, that's an incredible situation off the court, Portugal, is it as beautiful? I've never been, so it, is it as beautiful as it sounds? Yeah, I mean, coming from uh, Armenia, which is a beautiful country to their own, um, when I was Googling Portugal, because like, I've heard of it because everyone knows Cristiano Ronaldo. So yeah, yeah. It's impossible not to know Portugal, but I didn't really know how like beautiful and scenery it was until I started Googling it, and it's pretty easy to do when half your country is surrounded by the ocean, so... A lot of the beaches are very, very nice, uh, very good people. Um, depending on which region you are in the uh, in the country, um, depending on the food. But uh, the two years that I played in the north, uh, they have a typical food dish called Francesinha that's uh, known to Porto in the north. It's very, very good. So probably my favorite meal of all time in Portugal would be Francesinha. It's like a sandwich that you can't eat really with your hands. It's got bread. Steak, pork, ham, chorizo, cheese with another piece of bread on top, covered in melted cheese, and then a fried egg on top, and then the Francesinha sauce poured on. It's crazy good. Crazy good. Have you ever tried to replicate that recipe at home? Oh, man. Not yet, but <laughs> there is another sandwich called the Bifana. Um, it's more simpler than that, and we've tried to make it at home. Um, 
it was still good, but it's just not as good as in the country. Same with I'm the just, same with the wine. Portuguese wine is amazing. I'm writing I'm writing all these down so we can I can Google them after and give the recipe to my wife. Maybe she'll make it for me tonight. For sure. I can get you all that stuff too. <laughs> so your your situation in Portugal, you play there for two years. You obviously uh have made a name for yourself at, at in Portugal. So now you are, like we said, a month, three weeks away from heading back. What is on your mental checklist that you have to think of before you head back overseas? Um, definitely number one, shoes. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but you got to be very selective in your sh- uh, shoe process. You got to find very durable shoes that are gonna gonna last you eight to nine months. So. Right now, I'm planning on bringing three to four basketball shoes and one to two just wear around pairs. Um, so that's definitely in there. Uh, definitely a lot of basketball clothes. So a lot of basketball shorts and shirts that you can. Sometimes the teams will have practice gear for you. So my first team in Portugal did. The second time, we just kind of practiced with our own gear. And then we'd have like, uh, they'd have some athletic pennies for us to wear. We did drills of five on five. So it kind of varies there. Um, I don't know right now if my team has practice gear. So I'll probably be asking that question a week out. Um, <laughs> but if the answer is no, then it'd be a lot more basketball clothes than regular clothes. So whether or not it's going to probably be 75% basketball clothes, 25% regular clothes. Um, and always a pair of swim trunks in Portugal. You always got to go oh, yeah. today for sure. Um, what so is, oh, go ahead. Now I was going to say, what is your shoe of choice now? Okay. So I, this year I ended last year, like, I had a friend come visit me the last month of the season and he brought me the shoes that I've been waiting for. I had them in my room, but I just didn't bring them. The Paul George hot wheels. Mm-hmm. They were pretty comfortable. I just wore them for the last month. So they're pr- pretty freshly new. So I'm definitely going to wear those. And then this summer I bought a pair of Tatum ones, the uh, pink lemonades. So yep. they, were, they were pretty comfortable. I was a little skeptical when buying them just because the bottoms looked a little weird and there's yeah. things on them that were a little weird. But so far for me in the month that I've been breaking them in, they've been pretty comfortable. So those are going to be my top two. And then I also have a pair of uh, Paul George NASA ones that are like the all yellow moon ones. Yeah. And those have been my go-to shoes. I've worn them the last two seasons off and on. So they're still kind of freshly new, but there's just the comfortability and balance in those shoes. I I wish I had like 10 pairs of them. So I'm going to bring those with me too. No, that's that. Uh, I always think about what, what would be the best. Like I played in, I played in like Jordans and then like there's the Harachis. There wasn't as much to go by uh, as there is now. Now, like there's so many shoes that I'll go. I, I have the LeBron twenties. Now I don't play anymore, but I'll like go and shoot around with them. Those are way more comfortable than any other LeBrons I've ever had. But that that's like I have the purple pair. I was like, if I was going overseas, like that's probably would be shoe that I would play in. And I like the I never tried the Tatums, although like I worry about ankle support. So that's always my biggest thing. And they seem very narrow. So that always scares the shit out of me because you know how it is overseas. If you get hurt over there, you might as well tape that shit yourself and get back out there. For sure. I agree. <laughs> So you were saying, what else goes into that checklist? You went in your clothes, you have your, you know, your everyday outfits, you have your gear, you have your shoes. What else goes into that checklist? Um, for me, I always overpack socks because my always fear is uh, if you, I don't know, socks kind of rip sometimes or get holes and you don't have enough uh, 
I always like to be stacked up on comfortable Nike socks. So that may be a little weird, but definitely stock like 20 pairs of socks. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, I don't know, over the years, they just kind of run on me. Basketball tights, athletic tights. I always bring about six or seven pairs of those and definitely different colors because putting the port, there wasn't really a rule in Armenia about this, but in Portugal, every single teammate has to have the same color, whether it's tights or sleeves or headbands, it all has to be the same color. So I was unaware of that in my first season. So I only had like two pairs of black and one pair of white and my team wore gray. So I had to convince a bunch of the guys that had tights. It was only about three or four of them because not a lot of people wear them over there. But I was like, can you get some white so we can wear the same color? So Mm. uh, now I have black, white and gray seems to be the three base colors, but got plenty of those to go back this time, too. Nice. Yeah, there's the the, people don't really understand those little things like the tights and the elbow sleeves and, you know, the headbands and things that that you like we are as athletes like we're not provided them. Most of the time when you go overseas, like that's all your own gear, your shoes are your own gear. Those accessories that you wear are your own gear. And that's like, as they go through the season, you start seeing the wear, like uh, in my shoes and in the things that I wore, like you would see the things were wearing. Yeah. And I'd be like, uh, shit, like, I need to get someone over here to bring me some new gear because my, you know, knee sleeves are starting to rip up and now there's blood on them. It's getting a mess. Yeah, they definitely, I mean, you don't, you kind of take for granted in America a lot of times of like clean courts too. So shoes definitely wore out. Like you don't have an athletic director scrubbing the floor between each quarter or halftime, like playing on some dirty floors for sure over there that are not very clean. So you go into your, your, what goes in your suitcase. And obviously like when I played, we had, I had like a stack of fucking DVDs. Now you can get your phone. Do you bring like an iPad, a computer, something else to PlayStation, something else to keep you kind of busy when you're out there? Yeah. So I, I bring my MacBook every year to my laptop because I'm a, I'm a virtual worker in the daytime too. So nice. I work in America. So I definitely need my laptop. Uh, last season, uh, the light bulb that reflects your screen or something went out on me. So I had a three to four week scare of trying to convince or not convince, but tell the people that I work for what happened and everything. So <laughs> that was a whole mess trying to go to the Portuguese Apple store and figure out what was wrong with it. I just, I got lucky that I had a great Portuguese teammate that would drive me there, tell me what was wrong and like, give me the translations and stuff of, what needed to be done and what was happening and all that. So that was kind of funny. Um, I haven't bought, I haven't brought my PS4 yet. Cause I uh, obviously work over there, but this year I'm debating it. So I, I might, I might bring the PS4 this year, but um, definitely bring my laptop. And it's important for Sundays too, cause red zone NFL, it's my favorite thing to do. And Portugal, usually Sunday nights, you're not playing basketball. It'd be very, very, rare. So got my NFL time for sure. Definitely need it. Are you a Bears fan? Sure am. So nice. a little skeptical last year. I didn't really watch the game. So I just <laughs> kind of turned it on to watch Justin Fields run for his life, but he was fun to watch. But I don't know. This year, we'll see. I mean, a lot of Bears fans talking like we're going to make the playoffs or whatever, but we'll see what happens. I, I mean, I'm definitely more excited this year to watch them, but we'll see what happens. So you work another job, an American job virtually. You're playing overseas. Does that ever, are you ever just like, I need a second, I need a breath, or are you very focused? Because I think what you're doing as you go through life and as you get into post-career, it's going to pay off in dividends, your ability to multitask and your ability to to still have this job with this whole network of people that you have 
stable employment when you come home. Is that something that you always looked at? Or is that something that was like ingrained into you from a young age to be like, let's just keep this going. So when the time comes that I get done playing, I still have something to fall back on. Yeah. I mean, definitely one of my goals is to be a breadwinner for my family one day of my own. So I like to hustle and keep it up. Um, I guess one side hobby I do have in the off season coming here, I umpire a lot of baseball. So I think this summer I was around 140 games within a three and a half months. Oh. Band. So I umpired a lot of baseball games, but I definitely, uh, definitely love to just keep myself busy, keep them going. Um, so I think it's going to help me uh, in the long run. Um, you know, some people, all they know is basketball. And when they're done, they're just like, what do I do? I mean, this is a weird feeling. I don't dribble a basketball for money anymore. What can I do? So I definitely think I have a good network around me when that time does come where basketball is not a game and fun to me anymore and not a job. Um, I can go into the business field with the right mind and knowing knowing what to do in my career. Not, I wouldn't say career, but my experience that I've had so far to teach me what I want to do long-term. That's incredible. And that's an admirable quality to have as you go through this life. Cause I know how difficult, difficult it is transitioning out of this life into, you know, a normal stable life. You talked a bit a little bit about umpiring. Does that like give you, cause I know, uh, trust me, I coach my daughter's basketball team and like the, the referees, like the verbal abuse they take from parents when you are umpiring game, now you're obviously like a pretty big dude. So do you get the shit that people are getting? Do you hear that? And does that change how you approach referees when you're playing because you've seen the other end of it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely helped me throughout the years. I started umpiring baseball when I was 12 years old, so now I'm 24. Wow. So I've been doing it for 12 years. Um, being bigger, I will say, does help you. I mean, <laughs> some of the sport coaches won't give you as much shit. Um, but, I mean, this summer, I threw out a couple of parents and a couple of coaches. I mean, it just happens. Uh, usually on the weekdays, it's not bad. It's just like double headers or something. But weekends is when it becomes war because it's elimination. And in the tournaments, if the team is in an elimination game, it's it's war, man. I mean, I've had parents cussing out each other on the other ends of the dugouts, like screaming at each other. So it's definitely, definitely crazy to do, uh, do big tournaments like this. Um, where you see 12 year olds just going at it or 12 to 13 or 14 year olds. It's just a crazy culture in America that you don't really see in Europe like that. Um, yeah. It's definitely giving me more respect for referees overseas. Um, I'm not going to be biased, but I feel like Americans get less of the calls. You drive through the lane. I've just, I've done it for three years, but it's, it's true. Times, but I try to keep my mouth shut as much as I can because you know, <laughs> it's a hard job and you got to, I mean, you're not just dictating the game. You're dictating the crowd, the coaches, the scores table, everybody. Like it's a hard job that people don't really understand unless you put yourself in those own shoes to do. So hundred percent and ejected. So I think I've done an all right job. Nice. Nice. So you're going through, you, we've talked about like the physical things that you're bringing. What about mentally? What is your game plan? When you start ticking down and you know that you're leaving in three or four weeks, what goes through your head in terms of preparation, both on the court and off the court? Like, what are you, are you preparing? Are you hanging out with friends? Are you like, Hey, I'm leaving here. What is your mental preparation to getting ready to go overseas? Right. It definitely was the days get slimmer and smaller. You want to spend as much time as you can with family and friends. Cause that's like, 
all the time you're going to have with them until you come back after the season. So the days kind of mean a lot more as they get into the single digits, uh, that cherished time that you do have. Because, I mean, in America, you have Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the good holidays where people come together. And when you're overseas, like Thanksgiving is not a thing in Europe. So like you don't mm-hmm. really have that. Um, I've been lucky enough to play for two great teams that have kind of taken me under the wing for their Christmas time and shown me their um, their Christmas tradition. So I felt like at home in Portugal with my Portuguese teammates and what they've been able to do to me. But it's just not the same spending with your own family. So mm-hmm. it definitely means like spending as much time as you can mentally with your family um, to make the memories last while they can. Um, I would say for the basketball side of it, you know, you want to, you want to vamp yourself up, get, get in shape. You don't want to show up uh, to any rookies out there. My advice would be to like, if you're on your first contract, it's not a joke. So don't show up there out of shape and just say, Oh, I'm just going to wait till I get there to really take it seriously. Um, you don't want to show up fat or slow. So definitely take the last month as the most serious. Um, I know summer is a good time to improve your game, but, that last month is very important to get yourself in shape and have your shot looking as good as it does. That's great advice. And you're right because we've talked about this in the show, how quickly your leash is overseas. Like they don't have that time to sit there and wait for you to develop or wait for you to get better. They're like, you better get your ass here and get in shape as soon as possible. Or you're flying right back home. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, you got to take it seriously, but not too serious. So like I would say the last two to three days before your flight, um, I don't know if everyone does this, but for me, I don't touch a basketball because I know the next eight mm-hmm. months basketball all the time. So I just try to debrief, spend as much time with my family as I can and just kind of mentally prepare yourself for like two to three days. It's go time and you're going to hit the floor running. So I don't know if every athlete does that, but for me, it's just kind of a detox, let the summer dewind and then, Next week, you hit the floor running. As you get those days come closer and you're, you know, you're preparing and traveling, you're packing and stuff. The anticipation, the excitement, is it just, I remember the the times when you're packing, it's like this, this weird feeling of nervousness, excitement, and like the unknown. Now, going back to a country that you're familiar with, does that alleviate? some of that pressure does that help because you know that you're going to be going to a place that you're at least you're familiar with yeah i think last year when i was packing it was not more of a nervous feeling packing but like an excitement i was joining a team that was from the same town that i played in my previous year so i like i wasn't really nervous of like what was coming because i had a vision and i've been there it's different when you've been there so um there's definitely still like nervous feelings of like leaving the family. Like, am I doing the right thing? Like how dumb do I look to my friends? Just like leaving all them for nine years, uh, nine months and stuff. So this year, I mean, it's going to be the same feeling uh, going to the country I'm very familiar with, but I'm playing for a different team, like our South of Porto. So I'm going to be joining a new team, a new city, um, same culture probably, but there's some nervousness a little bit, but I'm confident pretty much that, it's going to be a great year and it's going to be a lot of fun. And you're able to, the, the crazy thing is when I was growing up and probably your age and I was playing, I had multiple times where, you know, you were hanging out face to face with your friends more. Like you would go and, and be like, go and play or go work out and then go hang out at night. 
you saw those people all the time. I'm still as close friends as I am with those people now as I was then, but I haven't seen some of them face to face in over a year, but we talk every single day. Is that something with the technology now and with the, the cell phone and your ability to text and talk, is that something that helps get your almost mind right being able to talk to your people, your friends, your family at all times? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. I don't know how I'd have played overseas in like the olden days, like seventies, eighties, nineties, where mm-hmm. you have Facebook or Instagram or all those social media platforms. Um, even iMessage, like iMessage, works on Wi-Fi in Europe without data rates. So, I mean, I definitely can stay in contact with my family, my close group of friends. Um, so it's it's definitely not as hard to leave them because you know you're still gonna have that connection in your life with talking with them obviously it's different face to face but that's what the summers are for to really catch up on that time so i would say it's definitely easier now for someone that plays overseas than someone who played it in the 70s 80s 90s early 2000s it's wild well kyler this has been uh really fun talking to you i feel the excitement that you probably feel of going overseas because i just remember it i had a dream the other night that i was coaching for the lakers it's fucking weird and I had that same anticipation. Like I was remember being like, Oh, I'm going to coach for the Lakers tomorrow. And I was like, Holy shit. It's such a fun. It's, it's such a fun experience. It's such an incredible experience. And I think your ability to go out there and, and play at this level is just admirable. It's fun. And you're going to have a great time. You're going to have a great year. And we're really excited to watch uh, how your career continues to grow as you go through. So thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. It's been a lot of fun. So we've been here with Kyler Stork. We will be uh, heading to Portugal in three weeks, three and a half weeks. Yes, sir. Nice. So we will be following him. Everyone keep tuning into the Overseas Famous Podcast. We only have about two weeks left of this season, and we'll be taking a quick break. Uh, and then we'll get back into this to season six coming up in November. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Kyler, thank you, and we'll see you guys next week. Oh, 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 oh,